Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody and Steve, also joined by Elliot and Mike. The show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. Good afternoon, everybody. Hey, Steve. Hey, Jody. Hey, everybody. Hi, guys. So before jumping into whatever it is we're going to jump into, I just wanted to uh, point out a thought that I've been having lately. Um, I'm sure most of us are familiar with Convention of States, and I think most of us have heard Mark Levin on more than one occasion say it's the only hope for America. And Liberty Block has written its objections to Convention of States in several different fora over the years. But it occurred to me this morning that if this convention ever took place, which we don't think would ever happen, the representatives to the convention are going to be picked by the same state legislatures run by Republicans who don't have the guts to do anything with regard to the election. And though at the very best, those are going to be the state legislatures who are going to send squishy or whatever you call it, rhinos to a convention. So I just wanted to point that out. We're seeing exactly what the Republican legislatures are worth. Elliot? Okay, you just undermined my whole rant. I was going to go on a rant about the state legislatures, about how all these swing states have Republican legislatures, yet none of them will stand up and assert their due proper authority to say, screw it, there was clearly fraud, we're going to appoint the electors. I know that would cause an uprising in the Civil War, but that is what they should do. I was going to come on here and say as my opening statement, we need every, you know, every Republican who thinks the election was stolen, which is like 99% of Republicans, if they think it was fraud, they should all call their state legislators, especially in the swing states. And if every single Republican calls their Republican legislators, they will actually feel some pressure to, you know, appoint those electors instead of having the Biden electors because the election was stolen. So I was going to talk about the state legislature right. growing a spine, but you just totally, right. totally. So it obviously, to it. it relates back to what Ed always says: it's up to the legislatures to do something. And both you and I, Elliot, we listened to Daniel Horowitz's podcast, and he's been the one who's ranting about the impotence of the state legislature. So I just well, wanted to put that thought. Any other comments, Mike? Yeah, listen, uh, the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania legislature did do something. They passed a bill in 2019 to allow for all these mail-in ballots, and they didn't go through their constitutional procedure to have it done. They were supposed to have a constitutional amendment. So now we're re relying on those same Republicans in the Pennsylvania legislature to now do the, do the right thing. <laughs> so are you saying that they lack courage and uh, belief systems? No, really? Maybe. Just a little. Well, not only do Republicans well, not help us, they are actively fighting against liberty. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, they made a colossal mistake. If you want to call it a mistake. I, you know what I mean? They, Jody? They made a colossal yeah. blunder when they passed yeah. the bill in 2019. No, I, I'm going on what I what I keep saying. I believe you have the government that comes at the will of the people. And if you look at the swing states or you juxtapose the swing states and the blue states, um, Republicans in those states with Republicans in states where the voters themselves are largely conservative. 
they don't have to have courage. And in the swing states, you know, the, the, the illusion of government stuff and, you know, the government taking care of you is extraordinarily powerful. And so that's probably why those are swing states and not conservative states. So voting as a true conservative is, I, I'm not making excuses for them. I'm saying a lot more risky. Um, and I don't know. That's my thing. It's to me. It's usually about the, the the responsibility falls on the voter. Well, let me let me somewhat take the other side, um, and let me take the other side, even as someone who believes that there was fraud, and believes that this election certainly had enough irregularities worthy of investigation, if not outright suspicion. Um, but just because I believe it, just because we believe it, doesn't mean it's true, and doesn't mean that it's grounds for overturning an election. Um, I think that we should be careful about overturning an election. Last week, I mentioned, you know, the New York 22 race, which they keep getting the judge on that case to throw out ballots or allow other ballots to be brought in. Um, and the Republicans lead on election day was about 28,000 votes. Last I checked, it was, I think, 12, but they found, I think, 12, 12 additional votes just in the last day or two, um, I, I didn't put in somebody's trunk. Um, it was somewhere. It wasn't a trunk, but it, it was in some unusual place. I don't remember where. Um, and they're debating whether they whether they should be counted or not counted. I, and I don't think they've been opened yet. But my point is, just because you believe it doesn't mean that it's provable and, and doesn't mean we want judges to intervene. Lots of people believe that global warming exists. Lots of people believe masks are effective. Lots of people think that we have a very serious pandemic uh, that's worth shutting down the economy and shutting down our society and locking us up in our homes. I think we should be careful before we endorse. Well, we, we think it's obvious to anyone looking, therefore a court should act or even the legislature should act. And I say that as someone who uh, I do believe that there are some problems here. Um, I, think, I think that it's important to distinguish between the fraud, the claims of fraud and the claims of, of constitutional infirmities. Um, those are two totally separate lines of argument. Um, but unfortunately, I think both of them have some problems. Uh, the constitutional one, you know, the, you know Mike, you were allu alluding to some of the constitutional infirmities in Pennsylvania. Um, and I think that, that that the merits of that are solid and unassailable. But the reality is all the facts giving rise to that claim were known before Election Day. And if you're going to participate in the election without raising that issue before the election, there's an issue of, of waiver if you wait until afterwards. You know, it's sort of like knowing before you start a, a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game, you know, that the umpire or referee is biased and you don't say anything before the game, even though you knew those facts. And then after the game, you point out that every single close call went against you. And you bring in statistical experts that say, you know, the odds of every single close call going against you are some astronomical one in quadrillion or whatever the number is right now. Uh, that may be true. And it may, in fact, actually be true that the umpire or referee was was against you. But if you didn't raise Ed, that. Ed, what, what about the issue of standing that Mark Levin brought up? And the court week? said we couldn't we couldn't sue until there was actual damage. We couldn't sue before yeah. the election. Yeah. Well, they're getting it both ways. It's like you always talk about. They're using the system against us. Yeah. And 
who who overturned the election, Ed? If what we're saying is all true, they did because they well, they 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 played the game, right? They gamed the system in order to get the outcome into the election that they wanted. I'm only aware of Pennsylvania having a case being brought before the election that the that the changes were invalid, um, and I haven't seen the actual complaint, but I just know that. Uh, Alito wrote a dissent from the from the denial of certiorari, saying that the court that the Supreme Court should resolve it before chaos could ensue. Um, but I'm not aware of any of the other states having those challenges. I mean, the one in Georgia is, is crystal clear to me. You have the Democrat Party you, uh, suing the state of, of Georgia and, you know, the executive branch led by the secretary of state and the governor enter a consent decree and a judge puts a stamp of approval on the consent decree, changing the election procedures. Neither of those branches has any authority to do that. And nobody did anything about it. Um, the legislature included didn't do anything about it. And, you know, do we want judges to second guess legislatures? I don't think so. Do we want no, But judges? that's the point. You don't need the judges to second guess them. The legislatures need to say, well, we that's have true. full right to appoint any electors we want, notwithstanding that. That's true, but all I'm saying, that's why I said, I, I do believe there was fraud here, but I'm a little cautious about endorsing wholesale rejection of, of an election by the, by, the, by the legislature. I'm not saying it would be wrong if they did that. I'm just saying, it sounds like everybody here is gung-ho for it, like, you know, full speed ahead. There's no problem with it. I'm not so sure that it, that there is no problem with that. Right, so we don't even have back, to Google that. Fraud, to One second. Going back to my first comment, if you think there's problems with that, let's be at this uh, convention of states five years from now and let's see one Republican not make a hundred good arguments why they shouldn't take it anywhere and why we should bargain away even more of our rights, et cetera. So if they have reason now to be reticent and timid, they would have at least as much reason in that theoretical situation, which is why I brought that up. Our well, salvation I mean, is not coming from even the most conservative legislatures. Isn't in Nevada right. or something? They're like five to one Republicans in some of these legislatures. No, Nevada is Democrat. I'm sorry. Nevada one of them is, is like five to one Republican. Is it George? I don't remember which one. The point is state legislators, even when they're overwhelmingly Republican, are not going to be anything better than a rhino at the very, very best. That's that's my point. Well, and I don't think that's easy. that I really can't push back on. I can't really disagree with that one. Right. And that's the problem with convention of states. And I don't even want to know how much money they've thrown out on that one. It's going on what, five, six years already. And they have, I think, 14 states, 15 states out of 34. That's never in a million years going to happen. If we think that we're like a pipe dream of reversing an election into four legislatures, and we think we're going to get another 19 to approve a convention of states? No way. But everybody's chasing that dream and wasting money and energy. And Mark Meckler, who's a relatively intelligent guy, wasting all of his effort on it. That's all I'm saying. That's why I brought that issue up. So, Well, let's get right to the Texas case, because this is something that is very likely that the, the court's going to take up. I mean, I guess we'll learn tomorrow. So my, my question was, mm -hmm. why in the living heck would the Supreme Court touch this case with a 10-foot pole? I don't think they don't would. They have, don't they kind of have to accept it? Supreme you know. Court does not have to do anything it, at all. Have, it, lawyers, this is a, one the, second. the primary type, case type that they have to no, take. No, no, no. They can take it. 
I know lawyers tend to defend the courts, but as far as I understand the Constitution, the Supreme Court does not have to take one case ever, and there is nothing anyone can do about it. They are there for life, and other than impeaching them, there is nothing you can do. They don't have to decide anything. They don't have to hear anything. They don't really have to show up for work. Yeah, I well, think Horowitz is optimistic they're going to take it, though, because it's a uh, one of the, the primary procedural things that is within their scope. But why should they? Why should another. they? They have nothing to gain from it. If they were going to take this case, they would have granted Kelly's in request for injunction. That's my take on it. When they denied Kelly's, Mike Kelly's Pennsylvania case, uh, uh, where he appealed the ridiculous ruling of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, uh, and he asked for a temporary injunction pending, uh, you know, pending resolution of the ultimate merits. It, when the Supreme Court denied that yesterday, and we're recording this on, on what, Wednesday, December 9th, um, when the Supreme Court denied that request for injunctive relief, that was a signal to me that they're, they're just not going to do anything on these. They're, they're just going to let everything stand. Well, again, why should they? I think the Supreme Court is like too many things in our government. I have no idea what purpose it serves when they get to, they get to hear 80 cases a year out of 8,000 that are submitted to them, and they're not under the control of any other branch. So as far as I'm concerned, they run amok and they do what they want. And sadly, as I've mentioned in the past, none of us are losing sleep wondering what Kagan's going to do. None of us are losing sleep wondering what Sotomayor is going to do or right. Breyer. It's always a foregone conclusion that they are always going to go against the Constitution if it seats their needs. And we sit here biting our nails about one or two others. I, you know, if I were to rewrite the Constitution, I would make the Supreme Court have a job description like everybody else in this country does. And you can't just walk away from things you don't feel like dealing with. And you don't get a choice whether you do your job. Anybody else have a job where they get to do, have a choice whether they want to do it or not? I think someone on this call is a nurse. Do you get to say, I don't want to treat those kind of patients? Uh, no, not when I was practicing. No, but the Supreme Court can say, we don't feel like dealing with it. And there's literally nothing above them. And I think we've seen in too many cases, whether it's gun cases or other cases, we, they just don't feel like hearing it and they don't bother. And what do we do about it? Nothing. So they can rule Heller a pro-gun case. 20 states can do anything they want against Heller. And the Supreme Court says, ah, we just don't feel like dealing with it. And we poor citizens are stuck here running to the courts, running to the courts who don't have to make decisions. So that's my rant on the court. Well, I got, go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead, Mike. No, no, you go. So I've got a couple things, um, you know, and Ed, you brought up Georgia, certain things in Pennsylvania where had those legislatures done things differently, we'd be maybe in a different scenario right now. So I go back to the fact that we're talking about national elections, how Pennsylvania handles their um, national elections impacts me directly. How Georgia handles their national elections impacts me directly. Why are we in a situation where they can willy-nilly do all these things, do them wrong, um, fall asleep at the wheel, and everybody else not in their state has to live with the results of, of poor leadership or- That's the Texas lawsuit. And, that, that's what Texas is saying. Well, that was Perfect. also what, that's also what the, what the uh, uh, request for injunctive relief in the Mike Kelly case uh, argued. Um, I think that's a sound argument. I'm, 
a little surprised the Supreme Court didn't accept it and I'm disappointed that they didn't. I think it's the right, the right arguments, the right is there, answer. Is there an alternative route to changing how, to getting federal rules for federal elections? I don't care how, what states do for their local elections. Do what you want, but there should be standard rules that you can't break for federal elections for the protection of everyone. Jody, that's not well, even the issue. The issue is that they violated their own state constitution. That's so true. They I'm violated their own state Oh, I know, but... I don't they, need the federal government to tell them how to run an election. We're trying to get a federal government to tell them they have to run the election according to their own rules. That's where we're stuck because their own courts don't care if they run elections. But if we, if we had standard rules for all states, this would, it seems to me, this would be a lot easier of dealing with you violated these rules. Well, and by the way, nope. what would happen if they don't keep the rules? What are you going to do? See, our problem, well, I don't have a problem I can answer with that the United for you, States Steve. Constitution. I have a problem with the fact that it doesn't enforce itself. So we can make all the rules we That's want. True. They change them and they do whatever they want. And there's nothing we can do. And they keep quoting, I think, JFK, that if uh, people do a violent revolution when they can't do it any other way, I don't know how many of you guys saw, I think it was Flynn who's calling for martial law and that other yeah. general. And now there's a website, wethepeopleconvention.org calling for martial law, which I find a little extreme for my tastes. But at some point when people find out there's nowhere to go, what are they going to do? So I want to give a great shout out to Texas. Listen, let's, let's just, uh, let's play this out though. Let's say the court takes it. Court, court rules in Texas's favor, question becomes what then? Now, I was listening a little bit to Jay Seculo earlier today. And my understanding is that the petition calls, it's outcome determinative. So it would go back to the state legislatures. They would have to vote on their electors. Now, either they get that done, who knows what they do, if they do anything, uh, you're talking about 60, over 60 electoral votes. It's conceivable this could kick to the House. Which Does any state legislature have the, the backbone to appoint any Republican electors? If they have to vote on each elector, I think they'll all be providing electors. Pennsylvania, the same court that ruled for Democrat well, mail-in ballots. Now listen, they would then have the backing of the Supreme Court saying what happened was unconstitutional. They still have no spine. They would never appoint Republican electors. No. I think what would what would most likely happen is they wouldn't appoint anybody and it would just go to the house. That's it, exactly. Um, exactly. And who so. in the house has the guts to, to actually vote for Trump? Which delegations? No, I, I think he'd actually win in the house. I don't think a Republican delegation would be like 27, 21. What's that? I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I hope I'm, I'm not wrong. that confident. It would be it would be, I think, 27, 21, something like that. I thought it was 29. But I'd have to look up exactly what maybe there's some states that have the same amount. I don't know. But um, in, in any case, the Republicans have a clear edge there and it would take a number of state de delegations flipping. So uh, to me, that's they would need to pick off one or two congressmen in the country, probably. No, it's not a congressman. It goes by state delegation. If the yeah, state but if they but if one congressman votes to make that delegation four four or five four for the Democrats, that one vote flips the whole the whole country. No, it doesn't. And they can do that. Um, I, I don't think it would work. Do you, you want to be that Republican congressman who <laughs> elects Joe Biden? 
I don't know, man. Yes, every Republican wants to be loved by the Democrats. That is, yeah, you know, that's the problem. Mitt Romney, I'm sure we know what we get, but. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask everybody here a question. And some of us are a bit radical. Some of us are a little less radical. If the Supreme Court said, you know what, this election is phony baloney, plastic good time rock and roll, like Rush Limbaugh used to say, and you legislatures now have to pick your electors. And those legislators pick their electors based on the vote the way it was on November 3rd and elected Biden. Would any of us complain? Yes, I would say that legislatures are spineless Democrats. But, but at least they followed the rules. Yep. That's what I'm well, saying. You bring up an excellent point, and Horowitz talks about this a bit because he's the only one seemingly as smart as me who actually discusses this. If they follow the rules and they still elect communist dictators, would we be satisfied? My answer is no, and I'm a voluntarist. Well, what would so he say? What did he say? Would he be satisfied? I don't think so. He says the whole system is fraudulent because it's not based on liberty. So he's actually starting to work his way through this logically and become a voluntarist eventually, which he will be in a few years because he's smart and logical and actually is open-minded. Well, I think, listen, I wouldn't like the results, but I wouldn't have a very strong leg to stand on to challenge them because at least they did. I'm a principal voluntarist, I do. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, I just think it's highly unlikely that they take the case and even more unlikely if they take it that they rule in Texas's favor. Um, But let's just assume that they did. Before the legislatures could even act to do what you said, you'd have rioting in all these Democrat cities. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know, you know, you're talking about martial law and civil war before, but we would be we would be at that point because you'd have riots even worse than we had over the summer. And I would feel like what are you saying? I'm saying that's not a reason not to do it. No, no, I'm not saying that's a reason not to do it at all. I'm just saying I'm not sure we would even get to was it fairly done Were the rules followed. I think that we would all be saying that they all felt intimidated. And that they were, you know, they wanted to just appease the mob and they were afraid of standing up to the mob and maybe were afraid that, you know, they were going to get doxxed or they were going to get, you know, they or their families were going to get harmed. For sure. Uh, I don't think that it, I don't think that even if it got to the point of the legislators appointing communists, you know, appointing, appointing Biden and Harris, I just, I think that we would all say that they were intimidated into doing it. Okay, that's actually an excellent answer, Ed. Thank you. That's an answer I didn't think of, which is why you get paid. Thank you. I'm saying... um, Paul stipend. (laughs) You know, we'll double it. But I guess, you know, going back to Texas, I assume everybody heard that Texas made their big announcement yesterday that they actually have a legislator who's going to sponsor a referendum on Texas independence. And I think that a lot of us feel, and probably millions of Americans, which again, it's a small percentage, but it's millions, that we really have no no other direction to go in than Mm -hmm. some type of peaceful separation, secession, or something, because we're just boiling over. And the fact that Ed can very correctly say that violence on the streets may or may not pressure legislatures to act in such a, a certain way, I don't know where else we go. None of us want a shooting war on the streets. Uh, I'm not so sure that there that there's not a significant contingent out there that's for a shooting. I, I think there is a significant contingent that wants a shooting war right so now. None of us. None and, of us five. 
and and just to finish the thought, I've been saying for about three weeks now that one of my big issues with the way that the Trump challenges have been going is that we're undermining and depressing turnout in Georgia. And a lot of other people have started to pick up on that. I, I fear that Georgia is already almost lost, even though the polling suggests that it's a dead heat. Um, if we lose both of those seats, I'm not sure we're that far away from, from violent revolution. I'm not sure what kind of peaceful resolution you can have. They're going to change the government. They're going to, they're going to do things when they have control of both houses, the presidency and the, and the Supreme Court, that are going to make it almost impossible for us to, to make a persuasive argument, to win a, a logical, rational argument, which is not my way of saying we should abandon reason and logic, but you know, you're talking about, you know, how do we, you know, getting to a peaceful separation. If we lose George, if we lose both Georgia races and Biden is inaugurated in January, I find it a little, I don't want to say hard, but I can start to see the reasons for why people want to have a violent revolution, because I'm not sure that we're, our voices are going to be heard. And I, I think we're going to get, we're going to get beaten over the head pretty hard. Oh, there's going to be a voluntary transfer of population to the freer states and more people are going to be moving to places like Florida, Texas, New Hampshire, Wyoming, or wherever else they think they may have a prayer. But if it's the federal government doing it, it's not New Jersey, like where I live, there is, there are other states to escape to that are conceivably more free. Uh, what, what happens when it is the federal government? Nullification. I mean, I totally support that. Um, Nullification by who? I don't, I, don't on, I, don't, I don't see people on the right sparking the, re the revolution. I don't see them taking up arms. Well, we know nullification is cool because the liberals do it whenever they want, whether it's with... They drugs, call it sanctuary cities. Right. Yep, but no conservatives have the guts to do it. How many, how many states nullify anything from the right, zero. How many states nullify leftist policies? Like 20 states on cannabis and like 20 states on immigration? Yeah, listen, I, I was encouraged when I saw the, the restaurant owner in Staten Island, they put up, it was an autonomous zone and he opened up his restaurant again. Yeah, I know he's out of jail now, right? <laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure, I, I, I was shocked at that video of the uh, undercover cop, I guess, chasing him down the block. But I think last week, I was saying that we not, we need to start thinking outside the box a little bit for some more radical solutions. And, you know, one of them I suggested was some sort of a tax protest. And, and I think I, I think I mentioned it here that, you know, we need one of these Republican governors to, to declare his state a sanctuary that we're not, that he's not going to cooperate with some of these onerous federal restrictions. You know, or Biden, she, uh, Christy Noam, I said, or she, Christy Noam. I'm just, uh, you know, using English as the official language and the, the masculine <laughs> is the uh, also the new. I just love her, so I need to plug. Yep. Noam has some backbone sometimes, a little bit, which is good, but I think she's still part of the Republican establishment. Um, I see a lot of the same characteristics in her as I do with Republican politicians in general. Um, I don't know if she would stand up to the federal government or Trump or Biden. I don't see her standing up that much and nullifying anything from South Dakota if it was a federal law. I don't know. Uh, DeSantis has done some things well. But has he nullified federal law? I don't know if he has the guts to. I don't, right now, I don't know of any governor who has the guts to. Um, probably not DeSantis, probably not Noah, probably not the Wyoming governor, definitely not Sununu. 
But so who else is there? It's a good governor. Well, we've you know got what? these Democrat yeah, no. governors. Go ahead, Jody. I was just going to say again, though, should the situation be where it is strongly the will of the people, maybe a governor, a Republican governor would until they felt the, the will of the people being that strong, maybe they won't. But if that changes, maybe they will. We have Democrat governors like Murphy in New Jersey and Newsom in California that have specifically and expressly said, we're not going to cooperate with ICE. We're not going to work with the federal mm -hmm. officials. We're not going to turn over information. What if some Republican governor made the same kind of claim? What, yeah. if, he, what if a Republican governor said, you know what, our, our state taxation office is no longer going to work with the IRS and we're not going to let IRS agents roam free in our state. I mean, I guess that would almost invite a, 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 an invasion by the federal government. But OK, I mean, I think that tough times are going to call for some tough things to be done and and maybe, you know, dare them to do to show the force that's really underlying all the things that they're threatening us with. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think that some Republican governor needs to needs to make his state a, a sanctuary on some major issue. I, I mean, taxes are an easy one for Republicans. Um, maybe there's another one. Um, and and not just not just sort of openly defy the federal government, but invite similar freedom loving people to, to come and emigrate to a state. And, you know, that's just one idea. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there are other possibilities, but uh, I would love to see some Republican governor or governors have the same kind of defiance that these Democrat governors have had when it came to federal law. And let's see what, let's see what Biden's willing to do. You know, let's, let's see. So I think, Jody, Jody, you're making a great point, by the way, that politicians can't be stronger than their constituency. And I think, you know, one of the things I want to do with this show is I don't want it to keep beating dead horses and going around in circles. And I want it to be partially looking for ideas. And I think besides the ideas of splitting up the country and whether it's Tom Kemp's way and maybe we're going to get him on the show and there's some other ways, maybe it's the Texit route or... New Hampshire nullification, but I think your idea of the citizenry in a state being educated and riled up enough to put pressure. So you'd have to decide which governor or two you even have a prayer with, and then either through moving to that state or really riling up the people in that state. I think it's a fantastic- yeah, So Steve, the, the proverbial vote with your feet, right? So if a whole bunch of true conservatives begin to congregate in certain areas, then there's gonna be the will of the people in those certain areas. Maybe it can actually move. Well, I like the idea steps, of- no. by the way. It's actually kind of two steps. You know, for instance, I've only been in Wyoming for like several days in my life, but my impression of Wyoming was that state is so darn free, other than the major uh, population centers that have more than 10,000 people, they have no clue that they have to lobby and fight to preserve their freedoms. They're just lulled into the fact that we're free, which is wonderful. Um, I love New Hampshire because it's smaller geographically, population-wise, easier to influence, even though I don't see Sununu being influenced. But it's two steps. A, you have to move there, and B, when you move there, you can't rest on your laurels like I have a lot of people in Florida and they're like, well, Florida, we're doing pretty good. So therefore they don't feel threatened and therefore they don't have that energy to rise up and bother DeSantis because they're like, hey, we're in a free place right now. So I think it's two stages and it's definitely moving towards one, two or three states. 
again, Texas, Florida, Wyoming, New Hampshire, whichever states you want to be, and then educating and pushing people to actually start talking about this out loud. Here's the thing, though, about a citizen uprising. We already had that with the Tea Party. And the problem with the Tea Party is that we never had a leader. We didn't have, you know, we, we had lots of citizens that were angry. We had lots of citizens that took to the streets. We had lots of citizens that marched on capitals. Um, but we didn't get any elected officials to, to hop on board with us and to really become leaders of the movement, other than insofar as they thought they could hijack us and, you know, lie to us that they were one of us and then they really weren't. And um, what were the goals of the Tea Party? I don't know, lower taxes, a bit smaller government in general. This movement would be very specific, state nullification and eventual independence, very specific. And the great thing about localization is it, it just works. Once you start nullifying federal laws and making the state more and more independent, cutting ties from D.C., we've won. It's not a general ongoing movement of, yeah, we kind of like lower taxes for the whole country. It's kind of biting off more than we could chew anyway. That's why the Tea Party didn't work in general. That, that's kind of some of my thoughts. I agree with what Ed said. I mean, the Tea Party was largely leader, leaderless. And in a way, that's what made it sort of good, too, that it was a grassroots movement. <laughs> I think it was a matter after a while of tactics. You know, going to a rally against Obamacare, and I went to a half dozen of them, I think, back at that time, you know, holding up signs and showing up in numbers is great. But ultimately, we found out that didn't really get us to where we want to go. You've got to find other strategies and tactics to win. Uh, you know, I do believe we need to use some Alinsky tactics at times. And mm -hmm. I okay, So, Mike, I'm going to go back to my same argument. you got to localize it. The Tea Party, again, several million people scattered over 50 states will never accomplish anything. But several million people in one or two states will accomplish yeah. <laughs> wonders. Second I, I don't think I necessarily agree with that, Steve. I mean, 30 years, 28 years ago, Ross Perot almost started an alternative movement. Donald Trump is threatening to start an alternative movement. The, the problem is we need leaders. And I mean, Ross Perot didn't really want to be that leader. Um, Ross Perot kind of sort of wanted to just help the country. Um, but when, when, you know, when the rubber hit the road, he really, he really didn't know how he has a couple of ideas. Um, but I think that we need a couple of leaders and, and especially if Georgia goes the way I think it's going to go, maybe we do, maybe that's the, the real solution. If we want a peaceful solution is an but alternative even, party, the Republicans, even a leader is going to have to be on a more local level and you can't save the whole country. You can't, we're not going to save all 50 states. And I just want to mention, because I had this discussion with somebody who I can't name yesterday about the animal farm aspects of leadership. And it's unbelievable how quickly when a leader develops, he starts feeling him or herself a leader and starts walking on two feet. Go ahead, Jody. I was just going to, and I don't know if this is because I don't remember the whole Ross Perot time frame, but I'm just going to wager again that might not have taken flight because there wasn't such the will of the people that we are brewing right now. The will of the people for that very thing, I think is getting so dramatic that there's, there is, like I mentioned last week, that sort of um, leaderless vacuum and eventually someone's going to step in and please God, it's someone uh, capable and moral and focused, I guess. Well, see, I, I agree with that, but I, I think I think the reason we're having trouble getting leaders is because 
the Republican Party is standing in our way, quite frankly. Um, and so many of us are trying to make have been trying to make change through the Republican Party, including me. Um, I've been the president of my Republican club this year, although we weren't really able to do anything given COVID. Um, I've been active with my local Republican club. I ran for office um, and I've tried to do things through the Republican Party, but I'm not sure that that that's a wise strategy going forward. I mean, whether it was wise in the past, I mean, I don't regret what I've done, but I see, I see so many obstacles that the Republicans are putting in front of us. I mean, look at, look at the secretary of state and, and governor in Georgia, you know, whether they have, you know, personal, whether Kemp has a personal grudge against Trump, which we know he does, or whether they're hiding, they're trying to hide their own incompetence in, in entering that consent decree, or if they're trying to hide their own, bad acts. I mean, for all we know, the Republicans are cheating just as much as Democrats in, in the very red areas. Um, I don't know what the I don't know what the reason is, but I do know that Republicans seem to be in the way. And the Tea Party movement, even if it's not a majority in the Republican Party, it's certainly a large enough minority or certainly a large enough. There's certainly a, enough of us in the Republican Party that there should be voices more than just one or two or three. It should be more than Rand Paul and, and Ted Cruz and, and Massey, Massey, John, uh, mm -hmm. Josh Hawley, uh, Dan Getz in Florida, who's, you know, that's the house. Matt, Matt uh, Gates, I think. It, what did I say? I, I thought that's Matt what Gates? Yeah. You said you know, Dan. Oh, I'm sorry. It, but it should be more than just a handful, you know, mm -hmm. given, given the numbers of, of people that have these views, it's, the Republican Party seems to be an obstacle to it. And whether it's Mitch McConnell in the Senate or, you know, McCarthy in the House, I mean, these guys are just not on our side. And and I think that a lot of people, a lot of Republicans are starting to see that. I think that's one of the reasons why the Georgia race is going, the, it, it could be going slipping away. Uh, not just that Trump is undermining turnout, but I think Kemp and, and uh, Raffensperger or whatever his name is, the Secretary of State, and the, the, the Republican legislature, they're turning people off too. They're, they're looking at their Republican leaders and saying, why do we need Republicans if this is what they're going to do? So. Uh, again, you're making another really good point, but I don't, I totally agree with you. The Republicans are in the way and part of what squashed the Tea Party. But I think, again, I'm going to harp on the same issue. You're not going to get a national office if you don't play the Republican game. There's two parties. And you're not running for Congress without backing of the Republican Party, and they're going to quash you long before you get to that level. Whereas on a state level, you still have a prayer in certain states. I, I know, Ed, I know you ran for office. Um, others of us have run for office. If you don't play the games coming up and you don't start compromising and going along to get along, you're not going to get into office to even run for Congress. Which is why I think that maybe it's time to just jettison the Republican Party and say it's time to start a new party. Look into the Constitution it. Party and Libertarian Party. If you think Libertarian Party is, is you know, two hours of reform and they're too socially liberal, the Constitution Party is extremely conservative and religious, socially, even a little bit too socially conservative for me. But look into the Constitution Party and Libertarian Party. They both have a decent infrastructure, at least in some states. Listen, though, the Libertarian Party... I don't know about the Constitution Party, but the Libertarian Party is how, how many decades old and they really they can't get their shoot together. And I spent some time with it in my state. I kind of get why, in my personal opinion, but I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't think it's realistic, unfortunately, to ever get a third party up and running. It's just too darn expensive unless somebody has some idea. I don't know how you could possibly do it. I think Democrats would be going like that. That's divide and conquer right there. You think they'd fund it? So maybe I, I, it's you know what? I think we've been swimming against the tide for how long about this, about the insiders and the establishment and the rebellion. A lot of people think the Libertarian Party takes votes away from Republicans and splits the vote. The statistics show that they take as much or more from Democrats. Libertarian Party. That. They are so LGBT, cannabis, immigration, yeah. anti-police. They take so many Democrat votes. Look at the I statistics. Think, they, they take as much the company, One second. Which company named AOC Employee of the Year? Have we saw that story? Oh, yeah, that was uh, oh, Goya. Amazon. They're from oh, New Jersey. Goya. Goya, right, because yeah. she, she up the sales. So the, I think, uh, Mike, we're going to put you in charge of fundraising from the Democrats to start a third party, and I think that's the angle. Listen, though, the, the point that Elliot was making was about libertarians being split, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people like me and Ed, and I'm sure some of you guys are part of the Republican Party, Registered Republican leaving that party, and no, no, like it's the that's, the end of the re- that's the end of the Republican party. But it draws more progressives from the Democrat party. Listen, starting well, a party, the LP even shows it. You got a lot of wackos in there, and it's just very, very hard to start a real party in this country. I don't see how it could happen. I, I just don't see that working. And I go back to what Ed was saying. We, you know, we effectively need to think outside the box, not play in the sandbox. Think outside that box. About what other tactics we can use and i'm all for nullification there's some tools that we already have and we've been told we can't use those uh you know we nullification ended sometime in, in our past history states don't have that power well baloney you know we need to start reasserting some of those powers as states and the states and the people to re- regain that power steve i think the difficulties of of a third party starting up uh, they sort of remind me of, of competitors to Facebook and Twitter. Um, I, you know, I, we've all talked about, you know, we've talked about big tech companies on this program uh, many times. And, you know, we've talked about things like Parler and Maywe and, and Gab and other uh, alternatives. And I, I'm all for them. I've signed up for them. Um, I keep coming back to Facebook, though, because for a variety of reasons. I mean, it just for right now, it's better. Um, the, the interface is better. It's more user-friendly and, and the people that I want to convince are on Facebook too. Um, but just more generally, I I get what you mean when you say that it's hard to do, but at the same time, I'm trying to do a little bit of parlor, a little bit of Mayway every day, just to look at it and get more comfortable with it so that eventually I can move. And and at some point, you know, there's going to be enough of a migration that it'll be easy to, to, you know, it'll be easy for all of us or it'll be easy for me to move over there. Um, and I think the same is true on, on the third party that you're talking about. Yes, it's hard for the first person and the first thousand people, but you know, once it starts and the ball gets rolling, I, I think that there's a chance, not just a chance. I think that that's, that's really the way to go. Um, and I remember in, in 2016, you know, Steve, you and I worked on, on the Ted Cruz campaign when, when Trump won that nomination, the, the Federalist Party was founded, and it was founded in part based on the belief that um, that Trump was not going to govern as a conservative. And 
you know, had Trump governed the way, you know, a lot of us thought he was going to be just a Democrat with a Republican name on him. And had he gone that way, I think maybe that third party could have taken off. I mean, I know a couple of people that were involved in the formation of that party. I was asked to be a part of the New Jersey contingent or chapter, I guess. Um, and I declined. Uh, but maybe that's going to come back. I don't know. Um, I haven't talked to the people that invited me back in 2016. Um, but, you know, at the beginning, yes, it's hard. Um, and it does take a certain groundswell before, you know, before the wave becomes a tidal wave. But um, eventually maybe, it take, maybe it takes somebody like Trump if he, you know, if we expect, you know, next month. Did you all see that um, Bongino has now more people on Rumble than he does on YouTube? Wow. That is a major, major milestone. And I don't know if you saw the story out today. YouTube is going to remove any videos questioning the Biden electoral victory. Wow. So they're definitely pushing us as far away as they can. That is crazy. Yep. I, 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 it seems funny to me, but I feel like I'm seeing less of the fact-checking stuff all of a sudden. Well, I think it's going to fade out after a while, but YouTube's going to clamp down. I don't, I don't see, you know, one of the things I'm doing now, I'm typing out ideas because one of the things I'd love this show to do um, is to brainstorm ideas and get other people to contribute to brainstorming ideas. Like I say, it's possible we'll get Tom Kempf on the show next week, but we can debate some of these ideas and focus on two or three ideas, two or three geographies, two or three parties or something to start or join a movement. I believe there's a lot of people out there thinking what we're thinking and trying to do what we're trying to do. And it's a matter of getting people together to debate these ideas and then to go forward. I don't know what y'all think about that. Sounds good. Yeah. I have, I have a few crazy ideas. Say, you said you want to think outside the box, at least here in New Hampshire, because again, I'm thinking locally. Starting a national party is essentially an impossible undertaking. You'd need billions, if not trillions of dollars. The LP's been around, like you said, Jody, 40, 50, 60 years. And they have a few million, but they're kind of plateaued at, I think, one or two million votes nationally. They have three massive issues working against them. They have the Republican and Democrat establishments, which create all the rules, like the Federal mm -hmm. Debate Commission and all that, which keep them out and move the goalposts to make sure that they're never in the debate. Um, they have themselves infighting. The infighting within the LP is unbelievably tremendous, probably more than the other parties even. Considering how small they are, all they do is tear each other down. The third big issue is that they just don't have a lot of popular support. There are not a lot of pro-liberty people who are libertarians in the U.S. There's very few people. So the National I think, Party... I, I think there's something more than that, Elliot, though. I, I think it's... I think the, the positions that they hold are, are what makes them so unpopular. I think being anti-police, yep. anti-military, pro-criminal, it's just not going to fly. I mean, I, I, and I don't think that that's pro-liberty, honestly. I, exactly. They're not popular to win national elections. That's my point. That their platform is not supported by a majority of Americans. So what I'm thinking is on a state level, on a state level, why, what do you think about this idea? If we want to um, fight against the Republican or Democrat establishment, the duopoly in New Hampshire, let's say, let's have candidates run for local office as independents without any party, eventually win, get the state rep, get the state Senate, and then eventually go from there to really start. I don't want them to go to D.C. The whole point is to stay in the state, but be independent and build up an independent caucus within the House of just independent, truly independent people who can win elections. In New Hampshire, anyone can win a state rep race. If they put in a few hours door knocking and they spend a few hundred bucks, they can win a state rep race. Independence or 
choose a party, start a new party in New Hampshire, which again is very easy compared compared to the U.S. nationally. Start a party called the Independence Party or Secession or New Hampshire Exit or Sovereignty Party or Granite State Party or the Screw U.S. Party, Nullification Party, and have the primary focus be on just state independence and then go from there. And problem and kind of, is, kind of, as you know very well in New Hampshire, the Republicans are going to fight it and convince all of us not to split the vote because if they would have split the vote, you'd have Dan Feltis as your governor right now instead of Chris Sununu and you'd be in much worse shape. That's why I just don't see a third party getting off the ground. It's you the had same a few libertarians the in the state house yeah. and they got crushed by the Republicans. I would never want you to vote for a third party and put a Democrat in charge of New Hampshire state house. And so the same concept applies to singular candidates, right? Because they can still seriously split the vote. Say what again? A, a singular candidate running as an independent kind of has the same issue because they could say they're splitting the vote. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why it can't happen. On the other hand, New Hampshire is a state where you could take over the Republican Party with enough people, and enough people is only in the thousands or tens of thousands. It's so damn difficult. Even New I Hampshire, so. where our GOP is so libertarian, it is so difficult. With what we see now with Sununu, how he crushed those seven reps and made them withdraw their own resolution, which is embarrassing. Okay, but how Sununu many... But in New Hampshire, what are you talking? 50,000 people move in? 100,000? If I have 50,000 of me, yes, we can make the Republican Party truly libertarian. Okay, but um, you don't need a million of them. It's a small state. And in Texas, you need 5 million. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Well, I just think when I look at what's happening in Georgia and I look at how many Republicans are saying, what good is it to elect Republicans if this is the way they're going to act? Uh-huh. Now's the time for a third party to rise. That's what I think. And it's got to have the right ideas. I think I don't think the Libertarian Party is going to fly almost anywhere. Um, I don't think they're the answer. But I do think that and I don't know, maybe maybe uh, Leffler and Purdue are going to win and maybe things will cool off and maybe, you know, the Republicans will keep the Senate and they'll keep Biden in check. And maybe in 2022, the Republicans win again. And, and roll to victory in 2024. Maybe the Republican Party will solve the problem. You know, but so far, it doesn't look like they have the potency or the, the competence to do so. I just um, remembered something, Ed. It's very interesting. Um, someone who does not want their name mentioned because of free speech and political reasons, we had this discussion with him about the third party, and he had the best idea. And now that I remember it, the only way to get a third party off the ground is to get existing members of legislatures in Congress to join it. Right. So you got That's Massey what I said. to say, I will join an independent party. And you got Rand Paul to say, then you possibly could start to build up a party. You'll never win a new seat. As a oh, well, that's, I mean, if I wasn't clear, that's exactly what I was saying. And I mean, honestly, the guy I'm thinking of is Josh Hawley, who's okay. young and speaks well. Um, Gates in Florida is another guy who's young and speaks well and and I think would be trusted. Um, absolutely. I don't think it's going to be just citizen legislators. I think we're going to need some guys that are established who are willing to say, if this is what the Republican Party has become, the Republican Party has left me and I'm, I'm going to go and start. start right, we have our own Bernie Sanders. And so I think, by the way, this real that is a relatively, relatively viable idea. And I think that's a very good angle to work on 
is to find people who can get to the Hollies and the Pauls, etc. And but what's the end game? Because Rand make... Paul would probably win as a third party person or Holly or some of these guys. They'd have a decent chance at winning. Rand Paul could have a chance, but what, what, if you want to start another national party, what's the goal? To, to make a great national pro-liberty party? It's never going to happen. We can't Here's save the country. goal. The country goal, is gone. The first goal is to destroy the Republican Party and get them out of the way and, and put a viable alternative out there for good people to go to and have an expect a reasonable expectation that their legislators are going to do what they say and are going to fight for them rather than fight for the, the party established, the GOP establishment. But the country is too late to be saved is what I'm saying. Well, then we're, uh, we then we're just blowing hot air right now, right? Well, no, because no, we can do that on a state on a state level. And again, whether it's one state or five states, I totally agree the country's not salvageable. My question is how many states may be salvageable? And by the way, if you could save Texas, you could have, what would it be, the 10th biggest economy in the world or something? That would be wonderful because you're not going to save New Jersey and New York, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't want to be saved. They're happy the way mm -hmm. they are except for the few of you who want to get out of there as fast as you can. But I, I'm, I'm just sort of taking a middle ground on that. You could get a third party going. Now, you probably know that it's my belief that I'd rather have Rand Paul as a governor than a senator. And I'd rather have Hawley as a governor than a congressperson or whatever. I He's don't a remember senator. Um, because I don't think the senators have all that much influence. And I think they could do wonders in the state. But that's a whole change of mindset. Yeah, I mean, it, it's easy to say like New Jersey is shot and not salvageable, and I probably lean towards that pretty pretty strongly. But when it comes to this whole idea of a third party, to me, it is states like New Jersey and New York and California where there's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Where, I mean, I think you have a better chance of getting something off the ground. Go sign up for the New Jersey Libertarian Party. We'll put you in touch. With uh, Roarman and some of those guys, and start we'll build up. Mike, I think you're actually making a great point. Thank yeah, you. I mean, that is a great point. You do have nothing to lose in New Jersey, and that would be really interesting. But you guys know New Jersey pretty well, you and Ed. And I mean, Ed is fleeing, I believe. But would there be a the refugee? Would there, <laughs> That's right. He's, I, I consider it a refugee. Would there be a prayer of a state like New Jersey saying, Look, this is where the Republicans have gotten us? I think that's a great argument to make. Wait, I, I what you have nothing to lose there, but what do you have to gain? I mean, isn't it kind no. of a lost state? Aren't we watching that kind of One happen? Huh? No, if they can empower the Libertarian Party of New Jersey to get big enough to bully out the Republican Party of New Jersey out of existence, even even though they never get wins, the New Jersey Republican Party, which technically got a win with Christie and some other crap. They would be so embarrassed, and it would be such a massive, catastrophic issue for the Republican Party in general but to it, put it out of the state. But right again, you, you have to have – those politicians have to have the will of the people in their area. How do you find that in a state like that or Illinois? It's not – I can tell you, Illinois, you their Republicans are, are – the Republicans in Illinois are essentially Democrats. I mean, really. And so, because the will of the people is that way in the state. So how could you even, against the will of the people, maintain your power as a Republican any different than what they elect? No, I think, I believe what everybody's saying, Jody, and Ed, correct me, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the goal isn't necessarily to win the seats. It's to get rid of the Republican Party. And 
whether or not you won one seat or five seats or 10 seats, you would crush the Republican Party and do no harm because they're not doing anything else anyway. Yeah, but you have to be able to win those seats for an, 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 for the amount of time period that it's going to take you to switch, right? I don't think so, the initial goal is, is winning seats. I think the, the initial goal is persuading the citizens of the state that, hey, the Democrats have created a goddamn mess in the state. It's, it's become unlivable. People want to leave, want to leave. They're leaving in droves and, and start to win their hearts and minds. Yeah, Mike, that's been my argument from, from there. Because like, years right ago. now, there's nothing to lose in a state like New Jersey. There's nothing to lose. It's a one party state. There's, there's no hope right now with the Republicans that are in charge that anything's going to change. I mean, they get their butts handed to them in an election and the same leadership is reelected. Re you know, they keep the same people. Well, mm -hmm. It just doesn't I change. Mean, so, Mike, that's been my point since the beginning. You gotta, you gotta speak to the hearts and minds of the voters, and I, I, it, it, well, I find it mind-boggling that in Illinois Republicans failed to do it because it's almost like, hello, silver platter. You're losing people, poverty and violence, all the horrible things that they couldn't message. That is mind-boggling. Well, I mean, I, I, I was the one who brought this whole subject up, and I said that the. The goal would be to destroy the Republican Party and get it out of the way. But that doesn't I didn't I said that with language that I'd, I'd want to revise if I were writing it. I mean, there could be multiple objectives and goals and we don't have to achieve all of them. And for instance, I'm thinking right now, you know, go back 20 years ago. Most people, most historians look back and they point to Ralph Nader and the Green Party. Was it Ralph Nader? No, it was the who, who was the Green Party nominee in 2000? Was it Nader? Whoever it was, he got that that person took enough votes away from Al Gore that the Green Party took that election away from Al Gore. And although the Green Party never got elected to anything, look at the amount of influence that they've had on the on the Democrat Party. I mean, the Green New Deal is, is an outgrowth of the Green Party movement. The, you know, all the environmentalism that's mushroomed in the Democrat Party in the last 20 years, all an outgrowth of the Green Party. So there are different ways you can skin the cat. There are different ways that a third party can have influence. One would be to try and just overtake the, the main party and get elected. Another way is just to intellectually influence it in the, in the, in the you know, battleground of ideas, the way Mike was talking. And you know, there's, I'm sure that those aren't the only two possibilities, but um, something needs to change. Right now, the Republican party is smug. And I mean, the same way that the Democrat party thinks they don't have to do anything to win blacks and minorities, mm -hmm. The Republican Party feels that way about people like us. Mm -hmm. And until we let them know there's going to be a price for, for treating us the way they do, they're going to keep treating us the way they do. And we have to do something different because otherwise we're going to be destroyed. And the Republican Party clearly wants to be destroyed. I think to get a significant win in a state like New Jersey or any state, we don't Libertarian Party or any third party doesn't have to win or do anything like that. All they need to do is start coming in second place in state in races. Right now, Republicans get in second place in New Jersey every time to the Democrats, Democrats and Republicans. Libertarians are in a distant third. If Libertarian Party or another party started getting second place sometimes and Republicans were in third place, it would change the whole game. Even in New Jersey, Republican leadership would be so embarrassed. They would start changing They're their ideas. They're never embarrassed, though. They're never embarrassed. No, they'd be embarrassed if they lost. I think, again, Mike, if I'm understanding your point, so I went out to western New Jersey to a shooting range. And shockingly, I felt like I was in America. So there are Americans in New Jersey. And again, whether there's 500 or 50,000, it doesn't matter. You're selling to them 
look, you're a Republican. You're not getting out of the Republicans what you want. Join my party. At least you'll have representation, whether we win or lose. But at least we, we are what you are. Correct. Listen, there, there's... See, I can't... There, there are red areas of New Jersey. There's a lot of farmland down south, out, out west, as you head to, towards Pennsylvania. I mean, we talk about tactics. I mean, for crying out loud, if I, if I, lived, if I were a Republican and I lived on the, uh, the, the border of Pennsylvania and I, I'm in New Jersey, I'm hopping the border. I'm finding a, a house in Pennsylvania, so at least I can influence Pennsylvania. Why should I stay in New Jersey? <laughs> Sorry, Jody, go ahead. Jody? I was just going to say, um, what was I going to say? Oh, so that is part of the problem is when you say, okay, this person aligns with what I believe, but if they're not actually elected, it's irrelevant to me. They're not representing me. Cause you oh, so Mike's point is they're not representing you anyway as Republicans. Republicans don't get elected either. Lose. Isn't that <laughs> your point, Mike? Yeah, I mean, look, New Jersey, Republicans lose. It's a one right. Point. So, but then we're we're back to the lesser of two evils. There's nothing we're to back. lose, but we're talking about potentially a third party. I mean, if, so, exactly, I'm he, deep deep blue states like New Jersey, there's nothing to lose by starting a third party. <laughs> you, you, you don't you have no power. Right. So, and again, I'm saying I wouldn't even be concerned about necessarily winning elections just yet. I think you need to focus more on persuading and convincing people about what the problems are in the state and who caused them. And here's another direction that we could, we should be able to go in. You know, one of the, go ahead, Jody, and I'll, I'll give my point. I'm after. Sorry. I was just gonna say one, one of the, one of the very real obstacles that we find in the state of Illinois, as far as reaching the hearts and minds of the voters is the media. And it is no different here in our state than it is what, what we all see nationally where the media is literally in the pocket of the Democrats. And so getting to the hearts and minds of voters in a Democrat controlled state is exceedingly difficult. Just talk to well, your neighbor in person. That's what I do. Well, you have to, yeah, it's only so many votes. <laughs> you have to remember the Republican Party that we're talking about right now was founded in 1854. It fielded its first presidential candidate in 1856. It won its first presidential election in 1860, six years after it was formed, and it controlled Congress uh, five year, four years later. Um, it can be done. I mean, that was done at a time where you didn't have the Internet. You didn't have instantaneous communication. Uh, yes, we had a better culture most, in many respects. Um, and I'm not saying it will be that easy that, you know, in six or 10 years we could take over the country necessarily. But uh, I just don't. I don't agree with the defeatism. I don't think, I don't think, I mean, yes, it will be hard, but I'm not, I don't think that it, I think it could be easy too. I think there's a lot of dissatisfaction with what the Republican party has become. And it's just a question of somebody tapping into that. And I mean, you know, Trump tapped into that. I mean, that look, you know, Trump is not a conservative. I listened to his speech in Georgia at the rally that from last Saturday, uh, for Leffler and, and Purdue. And one thing I noticed was that he repeatedly uh, advised the audience that if the Democrats win, your values are going to be attacked. Your, your life, your livelihoods, your life is going to be under attack. He kept using the, the uh, pronoun your instead of our. And, and I noticed that he didn't, he didn't say 
our values are going to be under attack. Our way of life is going to be under attack. I, you know, a lot of people think that he's one of us or that he's become one of us. I, all I'm willing to say is that he's fought mo most of the battles that we wanted fought. Um, but he understood that there was an untapped market out there of people that are so fed up with the Republican Party's lies that they'll put up with with the lies that Trump told and the BS that Trump told as long as he's willing to stand up and fight for some of the things that he was willing to fight for. And, I, you know, Trump came out of nowhere. I mean, you know, people know him. It's not nowhere, nowhere. Like, he, you know, he was an unknown quantity. But from a political standpoint, he did come from nowhere. And, you know, from 2015, it took him a year to, to win the presidency. Um, I think it can be done. I don't think it's going to be easy. I don't think it will be easy necessarily, but I think it could be easy. And we don't know until we try. No, of course, part, part of this has me taking a step back and thinking about George Washington's farewell address. And <laughs> we shouldn't have any political parties at all. Yeah, I don't understand. How do you function without political parties, though? You know, I, I think the founders wanted loyalty to the Constitution. But I just you know, they didn't want they didn't want all these factions, and that's what we have right now. And so long as we have that, there's going to continue to be. So well, Washington was really the only one who said that and believed that, though. I mean, Washington is sort of a unique historical figure. Yeah, but he wasn't wrong, was he? <laughs> so, so, Mike, how, how does that? I want if we're going to think about you know solutions. Maybe spend some time thinking about how does that work, uh, you know, well, in action. Again, I, I kind of go back to what I was saying about changing hearts and minds. I mean, these are, this all has to do with ideas. And occasionally, mm -hmm. I will say that to people when they're when it becomes too much red team, blue team, and I, even I get you know, I, I, yeah, we all get caught up in it to a certain point. But yeah. it, I mean, it wasn't supposed to be that way. We were supposed to be loyal to the Constitution. What do you guys think of my idea of a nullification party? A party based primarily on nullifying pretty much all federal laws um, you know, that don't make sense, which is most federal laws. I wouldn't call it that. My, I wouldn't call it that, freedom, but freedom I like vote. it. Yeah, we can call it whatever. I don't think anything, I don't think any movement whose basis or whose orientation is negative like that is going to take off. And It'll be pro-state independence, pro-state autonomy yeah i think you got to have a positive it all has to be positive anti-federalist party no pro it's pro state so guys we're going to wrap it up for today in a second i wanted to bring a story which is close to my heart as a baltimorean um i don't know if anybody saw a story came out pretty much right before the show they discovered please uh, let your hearts uh, not be troubled that johns hopkins owned slaves hmm which makes me very sad because I believe that is step one. And I could see within a matter of months taking that name off of that school. I don't yeah. know if you saw another story that a Virginia town took Jefferson's name off their school, Jefferson. Mm -hmm. So I could actually well, see Johns Hopkins losing its namesake. I, we're in really, will. really bad times. I would bet on the under if you bet on under over 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't care if I can give you ten. If you could take ten years, off, I'd say ten months. Yeah, it's really, really scary for those of us who, uh, you know, love Johns Hopkins and know how to pronounce it correctly, which is how you know we're from Baltimore. <laughs> but screw them; they're the ones with the biggest COVID dashboard and the biggest inflated crap in the world, right? And also one of the top three medical schools in perpetuity. 
Yes, but they are, they are one of the biggest reasons COVID fascism has taken off in popular culture in the world, right? But they're still one of the top schools in the country and one of the few things Baltimore can be proud of. But I, I just think it's so sad how the cancel culture is just going so deep and hitting everything. I'm going to give everybody a couple minutes to close out, but I, I'd really appreciate it if we do agree on this, that this should be a group that focuses on brainstorming. And in order to do that, we each have to get one other person to participate either in the show or on the forums, EJS, or we participate in some other forum online. But it's a matter of getting the people together who believe this way. I know there are hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands. And the question is, how do you get them all in one Zoom room? Anyway, Jody, you want to go ahead? Sure. I don't need a couple minutes. I just wanted to close with um, sort of something that Ed alluded to, you know, that Trump tapped into something. And I think not only did he tap into it, but he emboldened it a little bit and it has been growing. And I think that, you know, in 10 months or more, I think it's going to be bigger and I think it's going to be louder. And if it, if it can somehow get going a little bit, I even still believe there are people who are still going to be waking up. I mean, not only is it going to be louder with the, with the, with the current believers, but as we move forward, I think more people are going to be waking up. I hope. Hope and change. Here we go, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that I have a lot extra to, to add at this point. I mean, uh, you went, made your one great point, huh? I don't have, I don't have any great points left. I made you them. Made a great point today. You can uh, rest on your laurels. There you go, Elliot. Yeah, the one thing I didn't get a chance to say, and I, I wrote it in the show notes, is with with pretty much with friends like these, who needs enemies? The Republicans, as Horowitz has been bashing for months now, the Republicans are roughly as bad as the Democrats, and therefore they're worse because they're supposed to be, you know, trusted by us to to, to protect our liberties. Trump, just the other day, I was listening to Fox Business or something in the car, and they quoted Trump either today or yesterday or two days ago, saying, and it was an unforced error. No one even said anything about it. He said, you know, the vaccines, Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna, and um, some other companies are working on vaccines, and they're doing great. We're working together with them, with the FDA. We're going to get them approved for emergency youth authorization soon. But if they don't behave with us, I will not hesitate to invoke the Defense uh, Production Act, which essentially gives the government the president, dictator, communist authority to take over all companies and take over production, which is essentially um, Kim Jong-un. So Trump said, I'll, I'll become Kim Jong-un if they step out of line for a second. And that took me aback. Like, no one even asked you about that. They were talking about the vaccines. And he said, I will not hesitate to become a communist dictator. Again, Trump's done a lot of good, a lot of bad. I've written a lot of good and a lot of bad about him. But just, just this just goes to prove that Trump is not 100% our savior. He spent four years in the U.S. government. He did around 1% of the way, or one billionth of 1% towards fixing us. He cannot fix us, even if he had Congress on his side, which he did for, I believe, years. He still could not fix the country. This country is so beyond gone for a billion reasons. We have to focus on one state only. Thank you. Ed, yours. So, so many things on my mind, so much to say. Um, you know, I sometimes I'm really pessimistic. Sometimes I'm optimistic. I don't I don't know what the what the future holds. Um, but my guess is that Biden is going to win this election, and 
my guess is that the Democrats are going to win Georgia. But even if they don't, um, we don't have a solid um, Republican bloc in the Senate. Uh, I'm not confident in Mitt Romney. I'm not confident in Susan Collins. I'm not confident in Lisa Murkowski. There's a, there's a couple of others that uh, I think could be pushed over the line on almost everything other than court packing and maybe statehood for, for Puerto Rico and D.C. Um, and I think, I think that regardless of what happens in Georgia, I think next year is going to be a really bad year. Um, and I, and I don't mean, I, I hate to sound so doom and gloom, but, um, I think a lot of, there's a lot of people that think that once Biden gets elected, things are going to calm down. And <laughs> I think it's the opposite. I think that, you know, Steve, you've mentioned some things just in this show, you know, the, you know, the Johns Hopkins story, uh, the Thomas Jefferson story, um, you know, the, you know, the YouTube story about not putting up anything about election fraud. Um, and while that doesn't come from government, you know, culture is, is ultimately determ determines politics. And um, I think that the leftists are in the ascendancy. And I think that they feel like there's nothing stopping them from really doing bad things to us. And I'm not sure what, how bad the things are going to be, but I expect that they're going to be pretty bad uh, in ways that we're not really expecting. Um, and, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned in passing earlier, you know, a reference to the 2000 election, just because that was the, you know, the last contested election that we really have had. And, um, you know, I was thinking about how during that time, during the, the Bush versus Gore 36 or 37 days, you know, we were busy fighting an election here while Osama bin Laden was planning his 9-11 attacks nine months, 10 months later. And, and I wonder what's what's being planned right now. You know, I wonder what's being planned in China. You know, I wonder what the people in Taiwan must be thinking right now. Um, Hong Kong is pretty much gone already. Um, I wonder what the other countries in, in Southeast Asia are thinking. Um, you know, I wonder what Iran's neighbors are thinking. I mean, Saudi Arabia and Israel are still talking peace with each other. And it's clear to me that the reason they're still talking and, and accelerating their talks is because they're really afraid of Iran. And I, I'm concerned of what's coming. Um, you know, we, we're talking about trying to find solutions and ways out. Um, and, and in that sense, I, I am hopeful. You know, I've said multiple times on this show that no political battle is ever permanently won or permanently lost. It looks like we've lost a big battle right now. Um, and we're going to have to regroup and we're going to have to find ways to fight. Um, and, you know, Chuck Schumer said that when Trump and, and McConnell were going to confirm Amy Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett, that, quote, everything is on the table. And I think that when we're talking about going forward and resisting what's what's coming from a, to us or at us, we need to quote Chuck Schumer and say everything's on the table. And everything means everything. And they, these people are out to, to get us. And we need to be willing to stand up and speak up and fight back. And, you know, we're going to need to, we're going to need all of our courage next year, because I think the left really thinks that this is their chance to, to end us, to put an end to the, to the opposition, the way they put an end to the opposition in California and the way they've done it in, in New Jersey and a couple of other places. Um, so, the time to fight is now. 
Uh, I'm glad that Trump has been fighting, even though I've thought it's mostly a useless battle. Um, I think that most of the things that he's been arguing, he, sh he should have argued and fought before the election. Um, you know, that's that's you know, we haven't done a postmortem yet because it's not over yet. So I don't really want to get into that too deeply. But, um, you know, Trump did did make some mistakes during the campaign and did make some mistakes during his presidency. And, you know, we're going to have to learn from it. We're going to have to be better for it. So, um, you know, I guess I'll, I'll conclude there and, you know, thank you guys. And I hope, you know, we have a good, uh, good time going forward. And, you know, the holidays are upon us. I hope everyone's starting off a good holiday season and uh, we'll talk more. Okay. With that, I wish everyone a good evening. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week, four o'clock next Wednesday. And hopefully we're going to have with us Tom Kempf, the author of Two State Solution for America. And as always, we welcome people to chime in with their thoughts. Mike, you're showing us a book. Is that that book? Uh, it's my Reagan picture. Are you in it? No. <laughs> I would have been in the White House in the Oval Office. <laughs> Photoshop it. <laughs> awesome. Have a wonderful day. Um, this will be up within the hour on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Thank you very much.